Good morning. Good morning. I'm Father Spencer. I'm one of the rectors here at the table. And uh, this Sunday, I get to be in charge of the cool facts about God part of the sermon. Or this Sunday. Um, <clears throat> no, I am thankful that when I preach or when any of us preach, we are not one preaching from above everyone in the congregation, but from among the congregation. And so this week in preparation, as I was holding you all in my heart and in my heart and reflecting on the scriptures, I just really sensed that I needed this good news as well. And so I'm really excited to proclaim good news to you in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Brothers and sisters, today we proclaim the good news that instead of providing us with instructions for how to carefully get ourselves into God's good graces, Jesus is revealing the gracious goodness of God. Your inability to do good, to get it together, to figure it all out does not disqualify you from God's love. In fact, it is in that very tension where the Creator and His unrelenting mercy is making you new today. All of us walk around with different assumptions about who God is, what type of God the creator of the universe is, what the character of God is. We pick those up from all kinds of different places. Many of us have grown up in church hearing narratives and getting this picture of God, this image of God. We've been told what he wants from us, what he demands of us. Maybe we've heard about what he demands of us from someone else, not the church. Maybe just from a stranger in the street or in our family of origin. Or maybe we read it on a sign that someone was holding up at a parade. Maybe we struggle with the language of father in scripture because of our own experience of having a father. It's not created a, an exciting or healthy or loving imagination for what it is to have the creator of the universe for our father. God can often feel distant at best, maybe absent. And at worst, God can seem demanding and violently angry. If we're not careful, we can read Scripture in a way that just reinforces this view of God, this understanding of who God is. In our Exodus passage today, God is so upset with the Israelites for making a calf, an image of a, a golden calf to worship that he's just completely distancing himself from them. He says to Moses, your people whom you brought out of Egypt have acted perversely. Just leave me alone so that my wrath can burn against them and consume them. And of you, I'll make a great nation. Moses then goes on to convince God to change his mind, thankfully. He convinces God to change his mind by saying, what would the Egyptians say if you just killed all of your people? Remember Abraham, Isaac, and Israel. Remember your promises to them. And God, the creator of the universe, changes his mind. The image that I have really of, of this scene is like a family at Applebee's. <laughs> and the three-year-old has just thrown the molten lava cake that they got for dessert to share over to the left and it hit a stranger on the side of their head. This is a very bad thing for a three-year-old to do. And the dad is so mad that he says to his wife, you better get your kid that you brought to Applebee's 
because my wrath right now is about to be fully aimed at this child. And thankfully, the mom is there to say, what is everybody else at Applebee's going to think if you beat the snot out of our kid right now? And so the dad changes his mind, and he's a good dad. But he did want to beat that three-year-old. Friends, instead of being provided with thorough instructions for how to mind our P's and Q's and be on our best behavior so that we can earn God's favor, Jesus is revealing the unrelenting mercy, the unending love of God that is pursuing you today. Your brokenness, your emptiness, your incompleteness is exactly the place that God is meeting you today and making you new. In Luke, we see a scene where Jesus is surrounded by tax collectors and sinners. They, the text says that they're coming and gathering around him to listen to him. The Pharisees and the scribes are grumbling and saying to themselves, who is this guy? He welcomes sinners and eats with them. But even as they grumble, the Pharisees and the scribes are part of this crowd that's gathering around Jesus. There's something that's attracting even them as they're complaining about who they're with in his midst. And then Jesus goes on to share the parable of the lost sheep, saying, who among you, if you had 100 sheep and one went missing, wouldn't leave the, the 99 to go and seek out the one? And when he found the one, would lift it up and put it on his shoulders and rejoice and carry it back and invite friends and neighbors to feast and celebrate the return of that one lost sheep. And Jesus says that this is how it is in heaven when just one sinner returns. Jesus is revealing not only in this parable, but also in his character and in the context of what's happening, the character of God. He's revealing a creator that isn't just sitting back waiting for the lost sheep to find him, but he's revealing a creator that goes into creation in pursuit of the lost, in pursuit of those who haven't been able to find their way home. And every time the creator finds a man or a woman, any part of creation that's been lost, he lifts them up and places them on his shoulders and carries them back rejoicing. Jesus is modeling this by welcoming sinners and tax collectors, by welcoming grumbling Pharisees and scribes. Even in the Exodus passage, I couldn't help but notice whenever Moses is convincing God to change his mind, he references Abraham, Isaac, and Israel. But these guys aren't exactly perfect either. I mean, they didn't just like make a mistake here and there. There's like some pretty crazy heinous stuff that happens, right? Like when you read it, it's kind of scandalous to read these accounts of their lives. But they're held up as these like fathers of the faith, your people. These are your people, God. So how are we to know today whether we're part of the 99 or if we're the one? Our New Testament passage in 1 Timothy, Paul says, Christ has judged me faithful and has appointed me to his service. Even though I was formerly a blasphemer, a persecutor, a man of violence, but Paul received mercy because he had acted ignorantly in unbelief. That's what the passage says. And Paul goes on to say, and the grace of our Lord has overflowed with the faith and love that are in Jesus Christ. Christ came to save sinners, of, of whom Paul says he's the chief. He's the first and foremost among sinners. 
So what's happening here, I think, there's multiple ways of reading this, but Paul is saying that he's been judged as righteous, right? He's been accepted by God. But then he goes on to list all the reasons that you would think would disqualify him from being accepted by God. And so we can just read through it and be like, oh, yeah, you know, Paul's pretty special. Like, he wrote a lot of the Bible. Great guy. But he's actually trying to highlight for us how he did not have it all together. So what is the message that he's trying to convey? Paul's saying that his testimony, his salvation story, and his life bear witness to the judgment of God. Because God's mercy is not saving us from judgment. His judgment is mercy. The justice of God is mercy. Jesus isn't telling us a parable of lost sheep. He's saying, well, look, I'm like this good shepherd, uh, and I'm going to advocate for you as the new Moses to keep God from not caring about the lost sheep. We just said it in the creed. We proclaim the good news in the creed that God is like Jesus. And we have to read all of Scripture through that lens. When we can't see how it adds up, we have to look to Jesus and hold it together and ask questions of it. Paul says, acting in ignorance, he was the chief among sinners. He was persecuting and hunting the body of Christ. But wave after wave of Christ's unrelenting mercy kept crashing against his heart until the floodgates of grace broke loose in his life. So there's a different way of reading the first verse of this passage. Paul says, Christ has judged me faithful and appointed me to his service. And so it's most natural for me to read that as Christ looks at Paul and says, all right, you're faithful. But it's actually in the action of judging that Christ is making him faithful. He's not looking at Paul and saying, oh, you, you've got it now. You figured it out. So now I can use you. He's actually, his unrelenting, merciful judgment is what is shaping and drawing Paul into being a child of God, to being Christ-like, to being in service of the king. We see this shape even in the psalm. It says, have mercy on me, wash me of my iniquity. I know my transgressions, my sin is always before me. It goes on to say, you desire truth in the inward being, so teach me wisdom in my secret heart. Purge me with hyssop and I will be cleaned. Wash me and I will be whiter than snow. And we can't help but read white as snow as a good thing. But many scholars and theologians actually, through research, have found that that's a curse. And if you think about, just for a second, think about the context that that was originally written in and read in. It wasn't a bunch of lily white people that were going around talking about like, oh yeah, white is great. These are people with brown, dark skin. Wash me white as snow had a totally different connotation then. Actually, it's thought that it could be a curse, speaking about uh, the skin of a leper, as the skin becomes white and flaky, which can be really disorienting and confusing. But this new lens of viewing God's judgment helps us to see that this curse is not for the killing, but actually for the purification. Right after it says, wash me white as snow, it says, let the bones that you have crushed rejoice. The fire of God is not meant to burn you up or destroy you, but to refine you. His judgment is mercy. He is judging you faithful, and he won't stop judging you until you are faithful. He's purifying you. He's inviting you to enter into that tension with him present and at work in your life. The places where you don't have enough, 
where you, you don't have enough to make it through that day, where you don't know how to parent in that situation, where you don't know how to communicate, that's exactly where God is meeting you today. He's sitting with you in that space and he's judging you in that space. Not as a distant God, not as an unloving father, but his judgment is his mercy. He's judging you faithful. Just like Paul, Christ will continue judging you into, into faithfulness. Wave after wave of, wave of God's love will crash against your hearts until grace flows like a raging river throughout every aspect of your life. So how do we know if we're the 99 or the one? All of us are the one. We all are the one. Church, we proclaim the good news that instead of being provided in scripture or in these stories of faith with carefully worded instructions about how to earn our way into God's good graces, we are hearing story after story Century after century of God's action and creation, his unrelenting, always pursuing goodness that's coming after you, that's meeting you, not in spite of your brokenness, but in the midst of your brokenness. That is holy ground. That is where God is meeting you today. So church, come as you are today, you sinners and tax collectors, you grumbling Pharisees and scribes, there's room for all of you in Christ. You can say yes to God's unrelenting mercy and love today. What God's calling you into is less like fearful servitude and more like surrender. You are free to let go and say yes to what God is doing in your heart today. God is pursuing you. The flames of the heart of the creator are not going to destroy you. He's purifying you even as we speak. We talk a lot about words, works, and wants here. We talk about it in our DNA, our discipleship class. We talk about how a lot of our discipleship is aimed at making sure we have our words right, proper beliefs, or that we say the right things in front of people. Or, or a lot of times discipleship's aimed at our works, that we behave properly, because we have to behave properly or else God is going to be upset with us. Those things are not inherently bad on their own, but it's incomplete. God wants all of you. God wants to redeem your words and your works, yes, but he also wants to redeem your wants. He wants to redeem your heart. That's why this purification is so necessary. That's why your brokenness, the moments where you don't have patience, the moments where you're angry, that's why God wants to meet you there because you don't have to hide that. You don't have to corner that off away from him and keep that behind closed doors. You are free to bring all of that to God. God desires truth in your inmost being and to teach you wisdom in your secret heart. He's not waiting on you to get your words and your works right before you can be accepted. Instead, he's seeking to redeem your words and your works and even your wants, even your heart, all of you, every part of you. Christ is judging you into faithfulness today. So friends, take a moment just to reflect. Where do you lack What is the good that you long to do, but you just can't seem to do it? What part of you seems unacceptable? Or what disqualifies you? Notice that. What comes to mind?
Hold that in your heart for a moment. I want to invite you to bring that with you to the table of our Lord today. Bring it as you receive and feast on the body and blood of Christ. If you feel led, feel free to share that with someone. Share that with the prayer ministry team or pull one of us aside afterwards and share it. You are not disqualified from the love of God. Where you feel disqualified is the holy ground on which God is meeting you today. God is making you new. He's redeeming all of your life, not just the parts of your life that you can control. Friends, you are free from reading scripture and coming to church looking for instruction for how to get into God's good graces. You are free to fall in love with the limitless goodness and graciousness and love of God. Bring all of who you are and say yes to Christ's judgment of mercy in your life today. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit.